Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, president of Premier Speakers Bureau and your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast. Our guest today is Jimmy Yeary. Uh, Jimmy is one of the most accomplished songwriters out there. He's written over 2,000 songs, including nine number ones. Uh, he is an expert on relationships, uh, making connections, storytelling, creativity, and we're so lucky to have him here. So, Jimmy, thanks for coming on and being part of the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always curious to know how people get into these creative fields. Like, you've got different things. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do this. How did you become a songwriter? Oh, gosh. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I was raised in a, 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 a wildly dysfunctional upbringing right there was there was all kinds of just uh, it was a southeastern ohio which is uh there's nothing but cornfields and and guilt i like to say <laughs> and it just i was raised in church uh, singing in church and and it was a, a very strict upbringing and i and a lot of again i say dysfunction um uh, it's i don't think this podcast is long enough to get into all of that <laughs> but what it did for me it just it it caused me to want to steal away uh, to myself and and write <clears throat> write songs and I found that I could overcome maybe some of the things that I didn't completely understand about my upbringing I could just feel anything I wanted to feel I could go just sing these songs I would go in my bathroom with the toilet seat down and the acoustics were great in the bathroom and I would just write these songs and I could you know I was um, my head was as big then as it is now I could <laughs> not get a girl but the girl in the songs I was writing, you know, she was awesome. Mm -hmm. And so I could just feel anything I wanted to feel. And once I figured that out, it, it, it became something that I was uh, more than a little bit addicted to. I would just sing, write, and create, and notice that the level at which I would feel a lot of these songs, other people would feel them. If I didn't feel them, they wouldn't feel them. So that was intriguing to me, that principle, that uh, the level at which I feel something other people feel. And I, would ju I just tried to harness that through the years until I found out at about 14 years old from an uncle of mine that, that he's like, man, these, these songs are really, are really good. He said, you know, there's a place in Nashville you can go and they'll pay you to do that. <laughs> and I went, oh, done. So I just decided I was definitely moving to Nashville. I didn't know how, but I was going to move uh, to Nashville, which I eventually did at the age of 24, 1994, mm -hmm. and have been at it ever since. Got a publishing deal within the first six months with a horrible publisher. And, uh, <laughs> but it was enough for me to learn what not to do in the uh -huh. business, so it was a good training in that sense. So one of the things you talk about is you know, relationship collaboration. You started off writing songs, I'm assuming mostly just by yourself. Right. How, where did you make that uh, change from just writing for yourself um, or into writing with others? Well, and again, in 94 when I moved, to town and got a publishing deal. You know, publishers want you to collaborate with other people. The, the, uh, the thinking is that two brains are better than one, three are better than two. Uh, that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I, I was surprised at the level of uh, how you could accomplish a lot by if you and I sat down as opposed to just myself, there's some objectivity there that's not present a lot of times when you're just writing by yourself. So. So I, that was uh, something I had to learn to do and to trust. And it really was uh, instrumental in me realizing that you and I can't write a hit until we form a relationship. Mm -hmm. 
and really the principles necessary to write a song are the same as they are in a, in a relationship. Uh, you know, I could tell you I love my dad, or I could tell you I love the man that taught me how to fish. And, and that is, is, is very important in a song, but it's just as important in a relationship because a song is just a relationship to level which is felt other people feel it. Well, if I don't, if, if I'm not, if I don't have a, a level of vulnerability with you, then, then there's just, you and I can't make a connection. I, I oftentimes say, you know, people get at a bar, they have a bunch of drinks together, and uh, oftentimes, and then they wake up the next day and they're like, I got a new best friend. Well, <laughs> it's because all of the inhibitions go and they were, you know, they start talking about their lives and who they really are and they're not trying to wear these masks. And so uh, um, I, uh, that can be accomplished by simply just being as authentic as you can be, and which we don't oftentimes do, but, um, Again, it's just about getting real, being vulnerable, and talking about your own history as much as you can. And, uh, you know, I've got a songwriter, his name is David Lee Murphy. And I remember I walked in one day, and I wanted to impress him so bad, and I'm, I'm just like, I've got to make a connection with him. And I'd never met him before, and I walk in, and he talks like this, and he said, hey, Jimmy, how are you doing? And I, that, I, I just happened to be going through the craziest. Uh, we had mold in our house. And I'd been living with my mother-in-law for about two months and just got back into the house, right, which I don't recommend. And so we got back into the house. And so I'm just like, and, I, and we had a new baby. So I'm just like, well, do you really want to know how I'm doing? And he said, yeah, man, tell me what's going on. And I said, well, I don't know. I might have, I might have poop on my hands. <laughs> no, I, all I do is change diapers. And I was just changing the diaper and I got a phone call, all state, I want them to give me money for once. I'm in the car, hand the baby off to the wife. I'm going down the road, I'm getting ready to call all state. My mom calls because I'm supposed to go down with her. She's like, honey, are you still coming down to you and Bill to stay at our house? And, and I said, yeah, mom. And well, you're going to need to get a portage on or something, honey. The, the septic tank's <laughs> overflow. And I'm like, okay, I've got nothing to do. Okay, great. So I love you too, mom. And I hang up. And anyway, I told David, I said, so I've been in the parking lot. I was here 10 minutes early, but I'm 10 minutes late because I've been on the phone with Allstate for 20 minutes. And anyway, that's how I'm doing. How are you doing? <laughs> well, by doing that, he, he just instantly went, man, let me tell you what's going on in my world. So then he proceeds to tell me what, for five minutes, uh, ranting about his 20-year-old son that thinks he knows everything and blah, 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 blah. But the point is, is that we created a song that day that was a number one song that subsequently turned into a, another cut with Kenny Chesney, uh, which subsequently another cut with, with, that was a duet with Kenny Chesney, all because of, uh, of a little bit of poop on my hands, right? <laughs> so it's just, that is so powerful just to, when somebody asks you how you're doing, a lot of times, it's one of the greatest things you can do is, is tell them how you're doing, especially if you're trying to be productive together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's one of the things, like you're talking about vulnerability. Like a lot of people have a big fear of that. Has there ever been a time when you've been vulnerable and it's backfired? No, no. You know, I mean, I'm, I, you know, there's some, occasionally you will come across uh, some people that for whatever reason, they, uh, they feel like that, you know, especially a lot of times I see leaders that feel like it's necessary to be Superman mm -hmm. or it's necessary to, to, to give this perception uh, to, 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 uh, to, to, to seem perfect. But I can't relate to that. I know that people that they're leading can't relate to that. Uh, I, I don't know what it's like to be a Superman. I don't know. We all... Uh, something that a foundation to why I love to speak and do what I do is because I'm fully aware that you are that you have insecurities that you have at times anxieties and you're less than happy and that you worry what people think sometimes that's just what we do 
And when you, when you tap into that, I find that the vast majority of people that you do that with, they feel a sense of, you meet an intrinsic need that we all have not to feel alone. To me, that's the key to storytelling. It's the key to songwriting. It's the key to relationships, which is all one and the same, is that if I can meet your intrinsic need not to feel alone and you be able to go, hey, that's me right there. You know, I, was, I got to know Terry Bradshaw. Long story, but anyway, I, I went, <laughs> ended up going down and playing golf with him for about 10 days in Hawaii. And I remember the first uh, uh, day, I was so nervous, and it took like half the day, and I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm so you know, I, I, I'm having fun, but it's Terry Bradshaw. And so, and he plays barefoot and he's up there hitting. And, and then all of a sudden I remember him, he, he was getting ready to hit the ball and then he stops because there's a cart coming by with some people. And I said, what are you doing? He said, hold on just a second. He said, I won't let that cart go by. I said, why? Because they were far enough away, it didn't even matter. He said, I don't want nobody to see me hit. Man, I don't want to hit a bad shot. Look like an <laughs> idiot. And I just remember as, as, as trivial as that seems, for me it was like, oh, I feel like that. Oh, that's right, you're normal. But as a leader, if you will, which he kind of was in that sense because of who he is, it made me go, that's man, we ain't no different. Yeah. And I just started relaxing, I started having more fun. We, uh, we were, it just everything evolved to a better relationship with this guy. And, and it's just, true across the board. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen companies, I was with a publisher one time that got in front of the whole company, this new company, and told everybody he was going through uh, um, a separation, possibly a divorce. There were kids involved. He said, there's a dark cloud over me. I feel depressed, anxious. I don't know what's going on. I, I, and I, I think I'm doing the right thing. I don't. He said, anyway, I just, I just want to let you all know that if you see me and I seem down, I just want you to know that it'll pass. I know it will, but I want you all to realize that. The, at the time, the company was two years old and had three number one songs. Two years old with three number one songs. Three years later, at five years, it had 29 number one songs. Hmm. But I saw the very next day after he told that young company, only seven writers, uh, what he was going through, I saw everybody want to help him. Because if I feel, you feel. You feel, we connect. We connect, we form a friendship. And friends help friends. Friends will help you grow a company. And they'll rally around you. And I saw that happen. I saw better songs being written. I saw deeper stories being told. And it transformed that company. I wrote a song called I Drive Your Truck, which was mm -hmm. Song of the yeah. Year in 2013, that week. And, wow. and, I, I, and so I know that all the growth, the exponential growth, was because of one man just going, hey, this is what the heck I'm going through. Mm -hmm. Powerful. Yeah. How do you get younger songwriters to do that? I mean, you took that risk uh, when you, you know, did your, your, uh, one of your early sessions of writing with someone. How do you encourage younger writers when you're writing with them the first time to mm -hmm. kind of open up? Or how do you start building those relationships? By doing it, mm -hmm. right? So it really is for me, it's, uh, uh, it's just by doing it. Uh, it's even with the younger generation or an, or an older generation. It's just whenever I can do that mm -hmm. and, and meet that intrinsic need they have not to fill on, because even if they're young and confident, they're still, I find the more confident younger writers are really the most insecure. They're just, they have a better, um, you know, they got their looks, they got the cool. And so they, and, and they also have a, they don't, haven't yet figured out that vulnerability is a strength. Mm -hmm. So when you're young, you don't think like that. You, you think vulnerability is a weakness. And so you have to appear, you think you have to appear a certain way. Well, that's tiring. It's mm -hmm. exhausting. Yeah. And we've all gone through it. So when you offer that to them, 
and just go, hey, you know, kind of some stuff going on in my world. It may be great stuff, but it may, but whatever it is, it's authentic and I'm going deeper. Again, I'm not telling you I love my dad. I'm telling you I love the man that taught me how to fish. I don't have little kids at home. If I step on another 2 a.m. Lego, I'm going to choke out one of my boys, right? <laughs> so when you do that, they just go, oh, heck, I don't have to, I don't have to wear this mask mm-hmm. right now. And it, it's, it's, it's powerful. Yeah. One of the things, you know, when it comes to collaboration, you know, you've been talking about all these things with, with relationships. Sometimes there is conflict and collaboration. Just when you have two creative people, whether it's business, songwriting, whatever it might be, how do you decide where to go? If you say, I want this song to go this way, somebody is, you're working with says, I want to go that way, how do you decide which way to go? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, the, there are writers that I write with that, that tends to happen on occasion. And, uh, you know, uh, feeling so other people can feel and meeting that intrinsic need they have not to feel alone and trying to make that connection works almost always. But occasionally you just, the, you know, it's, uh, you do get to a point in songs where it seems consistently that it's like, hey, I want to go this way. Well, I want to go this way. The best remedy for that, the best way to get past that productively is for walls to come down and for ego to be as diminished as possible. And so, so relinquishing that or, but if you and I have, have made a great connection and we become, we, we've talked about things, we really have like David Lee Murphy and I did, you know, mm-hmm. then I do find that you don't want to feel like Superman because again, I'm the guy with the poop on my hands and, and I don't <laughs> feel like Superman because I'm the guy with it. And so, all, all I can say is that to diminish that as much as possible so that feelings don't get hurt. Um, it productively happens when two people make a connection and form a bond, uh, a connection, a friendship. Because friends, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I got a few really good friends. I don't get upset or let my ego get in the way with them too much. They want to do something. They feel strongly about it. Okay, David, mm-hmm. let's roll with it. Yeah. But that, that happens with a connection. But I also see people that work together a lot. And, and I see them, I see how their, rela- their creative relationship could be so much stronger if they would foster that relationship with some, some honestly, some, some authenticity, some vulnerability. You know, cause, uh, and you've seen it too. A lot of people that work together on a regular basis, they still have not gone too deep. Mm-hmm. They kind of do what they do and go through their routines, and there's some productivity there, but I feel like a lot of times I go, man, you, you two, you three could be a whole lot more productive if you didn't try to be so cool all the time. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I love about songwriting is how creative and how you can, how creative it is, how innovative it is. Um, how are you creative when you don't feel like it? Well, I have a routine. That's, that's a great question that I do every day, and for me, it's, I, I'm, I have not written a song in the last at least the last 15 years that I did not run four miles, right? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't done it. So I, I get up early every day. These days I take the kids to school, I get back, and I'll go outside on trails and on my property or the treadmill or whatever. I'll run, uh, you know, I'll run 40, 45 minutes hard. And so that for me is necessary. I also have a lot of quirky little weird things that I do where I'll, you know, the brain uh, needs to be uh, stretched just like muscles do. So a lot of times I'll do this silly thing where I'll just 
you know, I'm looking at the tape on the floor and it's green. I'm looking at you and you're buying your socks. And I just noticed your socks because you asked me to do that. And there's a quarter over there and it's yellow and there's one's not, a, it's plugged in over there. And I'm looking around the room, there's a camera and I'm looking outside and there's trees and this and that is the light. And, and I'll just look around the room and just keep doing that. I'll do that as I drive down the road and I'll do it for like 10 or 15 minutes mm -hmm. until to the point to where it's almost like the brain, it, it becomes easy. Mm -hmm. And then I'll get to the point where I can actually start rhyming some of that stuff that I'm saying about the billboard or the road or the lines on the road or where I got to write and what's the, you know, what's their name and I haven't met them yet and this and that. And, and, and that just, it wakes the brain up creatively for me to be able to, you know, because I am competing against a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of writers. Mm -hmm. And after the same artist, maybe Blake Shelton's cutting in two weeks and you got all these people that are great writers that, that have been doing this a long time. So I just won't walk into a writing room unless I am fully prepared. And, and another thing too is that, you know, I don't, uh, if, if my wife is not happy with me for whatever reason, great. Let's, we're going to be talking about this when I get home. Because I've only <laughs> got so much emotional energy, you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, so I do, I focus on peace of mind. I focus on uh, staying uh, um, uh, mentally and physically uh, good. I have a good diet. I drink lots of water. So I, there, there is that whole outside aspect of, of what I do as well. Um, I'm not one of them guys that can just sleep in, get up at the last moment, walk into a room, and expect to be uh, incredibly productive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, that I mean, that is one of those things. The interesting process. How did that process develop over time? Have you always been a four mile run, four miles, and then you pick it up, mm -hmm. or were there different things along the way where you figured out what worked, what what doesn't? About 15 years ago, about 17 years ago, I was um, I was not being um, very disciplined. And so uh, there's a very successful writer in town. His name is Ben Hayslip, mm -hmm. and he's had somewhere around 22 number one songs, wow. right? So he's done well for himself. But I remember at the time, he only had one number one. He just had his first number one. Looked like he was going to have a single out on, on Brooks and Dunn or something at the time. So anyway, he calls me one day, and he's writing with Red Akins, who's a lot of people know. That's Thomas Rhett's dad, and Rhett's had uh, 32 number ones. I mean, it's crazy. But Ben at the time, again, only one number one, he calls me one morning. Well, right before he called me, I was supposed to go write, but somebody called and had to cancel. So I was like, yes, I get to go play golf. And uh, <laughs> so I made a tea time, called a buddy. We made a tea time. I'm going to go play golf. Ben Hayslip calls me up and says, hey, won't you come down here and write with, with myself and Rhett? And I said, oh, man, I would, except I got canceled. Then I made a tea time. And he went, oh, and he hung up the phone. I went, just hang up the phone with me like that. So I pick up the phone. I call him back and he won't answer the phone. I try again, he won't answer the phone. I wait about 10 minutes. I call him again. He answers the phone. I'm like, man, what are you doing hanging up on me? He said, Jimmy, listen to me. He said, yeah, you know how you're always complaining and you're like, I've got the number one. I've got another song coming out. Things look great. And at the time, I hadn't had it going yet. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, here's the thing. There's a lot of writers in town that can outwrite me. But nobody in town, name one person that outworks me. <laughs> I went, all right, I'll come on down. So I went down there, and we wrote a song that day that Blake Shelton cut. Mm. Right? So it, for me, it just went, it just made, it woke me up. It made me go, okay, I'm, I'm being lazy. I'm not working as hard as I need to work. You know, I can't rely on this the whole time. I've got to put all the work into it. And from that day on, it, it, was, uh, it, it became something that I decided, I'm going to do this every day. Mm -hmm. I'm going to prepare myself as best I can every day single day. I know the principles. I know how to write. I know the, I know the market, if you will, music and, and, and country music, gospel music, different styles of music. 
but uh, I just want to be as fully prepared as I can be and walk into the room the best I can possibly be. And when I do that consistently, it just uh, it pays off. So far, it's paid off. How do you know when you've written a hit song? Like, do you know, or is it something like two years later you find out? How does that work? Yeah, uh, you, you, there's lots of songs you're convinced are hits. Nobody cuts them. There's songs you go, that's okay, and somebody cuts them. So that happens. You know, I recently had a song that I knew, I just knew in my gut that uh, was, I wrote it specifically for Tim McGraw. Uh, I'd never had a Tim McGraw cut, but I wrote it with uh, someone who was very close with Tim. So I knew that, the, that we would be able to get it right to him. Um, I felt, I knew this song was, was a big, big, big hit. And it had a level of maturity to it that someone like a Tim McGraw could, uh, could, could pull off. Uh, yeah, I felt that's one of the few songs that have been a hit. It was called I Called Mama. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was, uh, I guess, number one this past year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that was one of them that I just, I felt was a hit. I Drive Your Truck, I did not think was a hit. Mm -hmm. I remember my publisher going, that's song of the year. And I went, oh, okay. And in my mind, I'm going, <laughs> no. Nobody out there wants to hear a song about a soldier that passed away and the mm -hmm. father drives his truck to remember him. Beautiful story, but you're the demographic of who we're trying to give these songs to. I didn't feel like mm -hmm. they really wanted to hear that more than a few times, but I was wrong. How do you, and when you do a speech, it's very, it's very different. It's a very unique type of thing. Mm -hmm. How is writing a song like giving a speech, like one of your, a Jimmy Urie speech? How is writing how a song? How is writing a song? How is that speech like songwriting? Because how you, how you put together a speech is really unique. Well, and right. So, I, you know, as you know, throughout my, my talk, uh, I will, about four or five times, I will set up a song, a portion of a song that, that they probably heard on the radio that I had a hand in writing. And, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to show everyone how quickly you can form valuable connections with people you know, people you don't know, and obviously I don't know mm -hmm. all of these people, usually any of them. And so I first am doing like I would do if I was walking into a writing room with you and I didn't know you, and, and, or David Lee Murphy when I first met him. I'm trying to be vulnerable first, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to um, uh, go deeper with them and feel so they can feel, make a connection, and form a friendship because friends can create at a greater level than non-friends. So, so I, I do that throughout the, the talk. Set up these songs. The principles are, are a technique that I utilize to be creative, to connect, to feel so other people can feel, and ready us for a, a, a point at which in the, about the last 25 minutes, 20 minutes of, of my talk, I, I will go throughout the room and ask questions that there's no way I could just walk out and start asking. People would be like, I'm not, why are you asking me that? <laughs> right. But at the point at which I start asking these questions, it feels very appropriate for me to walk up to these people and go, hey, what's, tell me the greatest memory you ever had with your father. Mm -hmm. Well, knowing that that person may not have had a great relationship with their father. They may not have had a father. Mm -hmm. Father may have been an alcoholic. I don't know. Yeah. But whatever they can feed me, because stories don't matter. We all don't connect on story level, but we do on emotional level. Mm -hmm. So I know that. So they feed me the information, and then I'll have somebody um, on stage, hopefully, that can write down lyrics that I will feed them based off of answers from, from people, uh, from questions I can only ask because I spent 40 minutes uh, uh, preparing all of us to be able to create something out of nothing. And uh, it's pretty... 
it's pretty uh, profound. Even even now when I do it, it makes me it makes me nervous because it's uh, you know because I it's not easy. Mm-hmm. But I I've, I'm convinced every time that that I will be able to get to the end result and take this information, get it up there, and then eventually after about ten questions, go up there. And I'm working on the melody. I'm working all this stuff like a, you know, as you've seen, like a mad scientist, getting it in my brain and then going up there and grabbing a guitar and singing those lyrics that only were possible because of their lives and singing that back to them and showing them how important their history is, their memories, you know, whatever their, whoever their mom and dad was, their yards, the roads they grew up on and, and uh, their heartaches, their loves, their... Um, and just show them how valuable that is. And if they can utilize their lives, not someone else's, tell their story, and I'll see my story. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. What, what are some of the things you, the feedback you get from people afterward? I get a lot of uh, tears. I get a lot of people that, uh, that uh, a lot of tears. A lot of people that tell me, st- start telling me stories and about themselves and going deeper about themselves and, 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 and just feeling that it is appropriate to do so. And again, I would never... I could walk into you know ten thousand rooms. I'm never going to have somebody walk up to me, and do that. But after I feel first, mm-hmm. and cause them to feel, and not kind of feel, really feel, and do that consistently over over the course of a talk. Um, I've seen CEOs get up, and uh, uh, one CEO got up and, st- and talked about. I mean, there were just a few thousand people in a room, and he is telling them all for the first time that he used to be an alcoholic when he was in his early 20s. He said, I just never talked to anybody about this, but this is what I went through. Because he became convinced and understood that one of the greatest things you can do as a leader is meet the intrinsic need that everybody has not to feel alone. Now, there may have been no previous alcoholics in the room, but there's certainly people that have gone through struggles. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. The story doesn't have to be the same, just the emotion. And when he did that, it just, I saw the whole room just rally around him. It, it, was, a, it was a game changer in that moment. And, and specifically in that talk, had just people lined up just to tell me stories about, about their life and what they've gone through and good stuff, bad stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I, I actually enjoy that about what I do. So I, I love it. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing these stories about relationships and making connections and creativity and just, you know, making such a great impact on people. So we really appreciate it. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. To learn more about today's guest, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.